0: Him, Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Tonight I want to talk to you about a higher standard of living. Higher standard of living. Amen. The kingdom life. The kingdom life is a great life. The kingdom life has many benefits. The kingdom life has many positives. The kingdom life is actually everything that you've been looking for it's actually everything that anybody is looking for. The kingdom life, the life that God designed for his citizens, his people uh, to live in the culture and the atmosphere of the kingdom of God that represents him and all his glory and all his power. Amen. But in living the kingdom life, you know, you would ask a lot of Christians that, you know, sometimes things get harder or more difficult. When you come into the kingdom. Um, And I want to identify what that difficulty is tonight. Because uh, sometimes we don't know what we're fighting. And that's half the battle by itself. Is not knowing who you're fighting. Not knowing what am I really dealing with. What am I really up against. Why is the kingdom life such a struggle. I know that there's benefits. I know that I should live for God. I know that I should be in submission and, and be in accordance with his will. I know that I should be in, in the word and do everything it tells me to do, live everything it tells me to live. But but there's a struggle that takes place. What is that struggle? And I want us to help bring clarity to that, because when you know what you're up against, you can fight it better when you know who your enemy is, then you know how to attack it. And uh, sometimes we go in blind because we think we know who the enemy is when we really don't. And so I want us to be victorious in the kingdom life. I want us to live the kingdom life, not just be something that we wait for or talk about or, you know, tell everybody, you know, hey, man, you want to be in the kingdom. You want to get saved. You want to come to know Jesus as your Lord. Well, then why are are you going through so much? Uh, Well, and there's that struggle there. And we kind of miss it sometimes. And so I just want to bring some clarity to it. And here in Romans chapter 13, I think Paul identifies something that's very important if we're going to learn to live the kingdom life. In verse 11, he says this, And do this knowing the time. Knowing the time. That there's something about the time that we're in that is just as important as what we're living. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time. To awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Did you know that you could be saved but still be asleep? <laughs> He's talking to Christians here. He's not talking to sinners. He's not talking to worldly people. He's talking to believers that have slumbered. That have fallen asleep even in the faith. We don't want to fall asleep. He says our salvation is nearer than when we first Believes, you know that the walk with God is a progression towards the ultimate ending. And he's identifying that the closer you get, the more awake you need to be. It's not like we get so far into this salvation thing that I can begin to relax. No, I got to be on my guard even more the longer I'm fighting this fight, the longer that I'm in the kingdom life. Verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness... And let us put on the armor of light. This is going to become a forefront of this message tonight. Is putting off something and putting on something. You're going to see that there's two parts to the kingdom life that there's a getting rid of one thing and there's a and putting on a learning of a new thing. He says, Put off darkness and put on the armor of light. Verse 13 Let us walk properly as in the day. Now, Not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And look what he says here. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I want to read this in the New Living Translation. Real quick. This is all the more urgent. There's some urgency here. There's a sense of urgency in Paul's voice. He's saying that this is the time for, you know, how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Verse 12, the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. So put off the dirty deeds and put on the shining armor of right living. Verse 13, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Did you know that people are gazing you? People are looking at you. People are gazing upon you. You know, we we don't want to use the the word works in churches, but there is a production On the outside, that's revealed based upon what's going in on the inside. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness, sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Verse 14, instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. The kingdom life can be broken up into two parts. I like to call it kingdom excellence because God is all about excellence. God isn't just about getting you from bad to good. God likes to get you from good to great. Remember Jesus, he said, you will do even greater things. See, what you've been seeing here, this has been good, but there's something better That's coming. The best is yet to come. I've got more in store than what you've actually been living up to this point. God is a God of glory to glory, faith to faith. He's always moving you, growing you, excelling you and getting you to exceed. He's an exceeding abundantly God. Sometimes we're the ones that settle for good, but he's always trying to move us from good to great. And so there's two things in this kingdom kingdom excellence, this kingdom life that we have to identify. Number one, it's lordship to Jesus Christ. Lordship to Jesus Christ. He says, uh, go back to the New King James version of that last verse, verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Making Jesus your Lord. See, a lot of Christians only make Jesus their savior. But see, Savior is what Jesus did. Lord is who he is. And we're not real familiar with Lord. That's not a term that we use that much in today's day and age. But in the Bible, the Lord was one that owned everything. When you make Jesus your Lord, you're giving him ownership of everything. You're giving him ownership of your time. You're giving him ownership of your relationships. You're giving him ownership of of your life, your things, your finances. They now belong to him, which means you consult him on what you do with it. See, there was a time when I rented a house. My wife and I are actually in uh, talks right now to buy the home that we're in. But when we were renting it, I had to consult a landlord because they owned it. And I couldn't just go and do whatever I wanted to do with it. I had to go to the owner, but now I'm the owner so I can consult my wife. I don't get to consult myself. There's, there's someone else there. Amen. So that's the closest that we can get in our daily language. Our day and age is landlord, someone that owns something, but I'm using it. That's called being a steward. See, that paycheck's not your paycheck belongs to the Lord and you're a steward over it. How will you take care? Your time isn't your time. Well, I got a little bit of time. Do you or does do you need to consult with the Lord, the owner of your time and say, God, I've got some time here. What do you want me to do with it? See, now we consult with the Lord. So the first identification, the first identifier of the kingdom life is one putting on the Lord. Jesus Christ. Not just savior, not just well he saved me for my sins or he saved me from hell and saved me so I can go to heaven. But now he's my Lord. So he got me in the beginning. He's going to get me in the end and he's going to get me all the way through this thing. He's my Lord. Number two, he says, make no provision for the flesh. Disregard the flesh. Now what does he mean by flesh? We are a three part being. We are spirit. You are spirit. You are spirit. That's who you really are. I, what I see on the outside right now is not really you. Understand that. But I'm talking to the real you because your spirit man is the one receiving the words that I'm giving right now. You possess a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and you live in a body. And your body has fleshly desires. I like to put it this way. Some of you heard me say it before. Your spirit is saved. Your soul is being saved. It's in the process of being renewed, the Bible says. Renew your mind. But then your flesh cannot be saved. There's no hope for it. It is lost. It was born in sin, and it will go back to the dust in sin. So our job in life now is to shut down the flesh side and listen to the spirit side. The re- the, the new man. And that happens by renewing the mind to the spirit. But the problem is, is the mind is locked into the flesh when you come into the kingdom. Your mind still thinks that way and still has those ideas and thought processes and uh, still wants to respond the way he used to respond and talk the way he used to talk and live the way he used to live. And so now we see the the, the two parts that are always moving. It's like a bicycle. One side's going this way, but the other side's going just as fast. On the You, you, you can't do one without the other. And so what we really identify here is the two is one. Because if you make Jesus your Lord... You won't give into the flesh. But if you give into the flesh, then Jesus isn't Lord. So we see that the two are actually one. It's the same position, the same posture. And so Paul says here to put off one thing and put on the other. And it's not a matter of going and trying to get rid of all this stuff and then come over here and try to add all this stuff. It's get rid of this and add this. Get rid of this and add this. It's all working at the same time. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Here's the thing that I want to identify tonight. Out of the verse that we just read, nowhere does it say that Satan is your problem. See, we've always thought about God good, the devil bad, and these two are just at war with each other. Uh, If we could look into the spirit realm, we would be so surprised to see that God is not fighting anything. (laughs) And then we would be so surprised to see that the devil is all bound up and locked up over here and can't do anything. So you thought there was a struggle between you and the devil, and you keep asking God to come down and fight your battles for you. But that's not what the Bible is telling us. The second thing that it does not say in this verse is that sin is your problem. So you don't have a sin problem, and you don't have a Satan problem. So I just knocked out the two things that you thought you were fighting the, your entire kingdom life. Oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm just working at not sinning, and that devil is trying to beat me over the head, but I'm not going to let him win. That's, that's what we we've, we've thought this struggle was all about. And I just popped both of your balloons for you. So who are you fighting? Who am I up against? Look at Romans chapter 6. Go back just a few chapters. Verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon who? Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. These verses may surprise you. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your moral body. That means don't let sin have control. Don't let sin dictate your life. Don't let sin tell you what to do. Don't let it reign. Don't let it have rule in your life. That you should obey it. Did you know that when you sin, you're obeying sin? Verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That means don't use your body to do sinful things. Don't let your mouth do, say sinful words. Don't let your 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 hands do sinful things. Don't let your mind go to sinful places. Don't present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So now I have a choice. I can use this body to sin or I can use this body to do works for the kingdom of God. I mean, we, we thought we fell into sin. We thought we accidentally sin. We We thought that it just happened and we just turned around and there I was doing sinful things and living a sinful life. But that's not what these verses are saying. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Sin shall not have dominion, authority, control. Where have we heard that the word before? Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And let man have dominion. See, so the original intent was for you to never be dictated by sin. Never be dictated by the worldly life. A worldly lifestyle. That there's another life that can control us. There's another lifestyle that can dictate us. There's someone that we can make the Lord of our life. And now they rule, control, govern, and have dominion in our life. Sin won't operate in our lives without our permission. I promise there's a light at the end of the tunnel for this. Because now it's like, dang, all that stuff I've been doing, I've been giving it permission. Yeah, we have. Because sin is taken care of. All that Jesus went through on that cross, all the blood that was shed, all the pain and the horror that he went through, he took care of every last sin. The Bible says that he became sin. For us, because then he could come back, conquer it, beat it and say, what now you got nothing that sin can never control my people. That sin will never dictate a kingdom citizens life. Sin shall not have dominion. So the only way that we operate in sin is if we allow it to give it permission to. In our lives. See, knowing who to resist is half the battle. Knowing who we're up against, knowing what we're up against is half the battle. Now that we know, I'm not fighting sin, I'm not fighting Satan, I'm fighting myself. <laughs> what do they say? Keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer? Your closest enemy is right here. Your own. You are your own worst enemy your flesh. That's why he opened up in verse 11. Likewise you also reckon yourselves Now see what this message is going to do and what the Bible does is see God made a way. Genesis chapter 3 as soon as man fell what's he do? Makes a plan to get man get man back righteous again. This woman, she's going to have seed and he's going to uh, you're going to bruise his heel, but you're going to bruise his head. He's going to bruise your head right there, speaking to the serpent in the garden and lets him know I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to make sure that my people get back in the position the way I originally intended for them to have dominion, not you. Then Jesus comes. God's plan is to get himself In the flesh, sends Jesus, 100% man, 100% God, sends him to the cross. He dies, he becomes sin for us, conquers sin, and now both of them are sitting in heaven with their feet propped up, the Bible says. Their enemies have been made their footstool. I like to put it this way God doesn't have any enemies. The game's over. There's no going back. There's no no other outcome that can ever happen in the kingdom. There's no other outcome that can ever happen in this world except for God wins. Jesus wins. It's already been done. Jesus, when he was on that cross, said, it is finished. So our battle is not with Satan. Our battle is not against sin. Both of those things have been done away with, taken care of. And the only way they are operate in our lives as if we allow them to, if we give them access and permission. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. So how, how do we see this kingdom life come out? This is a message of victory. This isn't a message of guilt and condemnation. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, like we're talking about on Sundays. You're in Christ, you can't be condemned. There's nothing that the devil could tell you that could condemn you. There's nothing he could say to you that can make you feel so bad and so messed up that you just feel worthless. It can't happen unless you allow those thoughts to come into you and take you over. Because you can look at him and say, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is, therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't to beat anybody over the head. This is to help you identify where your victory lies. Because I'm, I, I don't want to see people fighting the wrong enemy. We're busy fighting someone that's already been beaten. We're, we're, we're trying to beat someone down that doesn't have any authority at all. And so we've got to identify this. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 17, Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. The word walk there can be replaced with the word live. So don't live like the Gentiles live. The Gentiles are a picture of the world. Don't live like the world lives. How do they live? In the futility of their mind. The futility of their mind having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. See, we don't need to be walking like we're separated from God, even though we are so close. Again, Ephesians, written to the church at Ephesus. These are believers, these are Christians, and he's saying don't walk separated from God like the world is walking. They actually are separated from God, but you're not. But where do we get separated from God in our minds? So i got to take you back to Romans. Don't, don't go back there, but you may remember that he said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. Well, I need to define provision for you. The word provision there means this, premeditated plan. Premeditated plan. It means to make preparation for Or provide for. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't have a premeditated plan of how you're going to sin. Don't make preparation for and don't provide for sin in your life. So he says here in Ephesians chapter four, verse 17, that the reason we walk separated from God is because we're alienated in our minds. Where instead of making plans to live for God, we're making plans to sin. Now, I I know that when we are growing in God, it seems like things happen uh, a little easier. But the goal is to renew your mind so that it becomes harder to sin. Make it hard for you to sin. Don't put yourselves in positions where it might be easy to sin. Develop some accountability in your life. But on top of that, get your mind renewed to the Word of God that's going to help you produce a kingdom life versus a sin life. So we find that we are our own worst enemy. We're the ones that we're fighting against. And where we allow ourselves to win is in the mind. Let's keep going. Uh, there, let's read verse 18 again. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. That means we've got to learn something. Ignorant means you just don't know. See, the difference between ignorance and stupid, there's a difference. Stupid means you can't learn. You refuse to learn. Ignorant means you just don't know. So don't be stupid. Don't refuse to know. But don't be ignorant. Which means we just got to know something. Amen? Because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves. Given themselves. The devil made me do it. Not what this says. Given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But look what verse 20 says. But you have not so learned Christ. Did you know that there's some learning involved? So we just saw some unlearning needs to take place. And now we see that some learning needs to take place. So you didn't just punch a ticket. All aboard. One way to heaven. No, we didn't just punch a ticket somewhere. We didn't just get our name on the raffle sheet. We didn't just, you know, sign up for something. We are now in something and we've got to learn what we're in. We've got to learn Christ. So we can be Christ like if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you what? Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt. You realize that this thing on the outside, I I told you earlier that it can't be saved. This thing just gets worse and worse as time goes on. The Bible says that people will invent new ways to sin. They'll invent new ways. We'll find a new way. To make it as terrible and horrible. And are we not seeing that today? Are we not seeing that in our world today? The sin that we have is just not good enough. It's not cutting it for me anymore. i got to get it worse. i got to come up with something different. Something new. says this old man on the outside is growing corrupt. Now, spouses, that doesn't mean look at your husband or wife and say, See, I told you you were getting worse. That, no, eyes forward looking right here the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your what mind be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you will put on so put off be renewed in the spirit of your mind so you can put something on don't just put off and never replace it put off so you can put on put on what put on the new man which was recreated which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness the new man thank God for the new man thank God for second corinthians 5:17 therefore if any man is in Christ he is a new creation all things have passed away behold all things have become new all things are new amen all things are new according to god in true righteousness and holiness righteousness is your position and holiness is your action see it's not just righteousness by itself it doesn't say put on the new man that's righteous and don't worry about being holy cuz at least you're righteous No, the righteous man on the inside should produce some holiness on the outside. And that's what he's identifying here that we've been given the new man, created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're seeing once again that the person we're fighting is not. The thing we're not, we're not fighting sin. We're not fighting against the devil or Satan or all the principalities and powers and mights and dominions, and they're just overpowering me, and I can't seem to control my thoughts, can't seem to control my actions, I can't seem to turn that thing off when I know I shouldn't look at it, I can't seem to talk to her right when I know I shouldn't say those things, I can't seem to act this way at work when I know that I shouldn't be hanging around those people. It's no more that we're now finding that we are the ones that we have to shut down our own flesh. And that it shouldn't have dominion. And if it's operating in our lives, it's only there because we've given it allowance. We've given it permission to operate. Now, what this does is it places responsibility on you and I. See, that's why we can't sing songs that say, God, mold me, break me. That's Old Testament stuff. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Mold me, break me, smash me, beat me, rip me out, rip me up. Change me. He changes you. You are changed. That's past tense. Now allow the changed stuff on the inside to start showing up on the outside. God's saying, I already did it. Sing a different song, please. Sing, Great Are You, Lord. Sing, for who you are. Sing, I will worship you for who you are. Those are the kind of songs that he wants to hear. He doesn't want to hear stuff about stuff he's already done and you're still asking him to do it. i just go ahead and let you know. He wants to hear his word. Look on down to verse 26. Right there in Ephesians chapter 4. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Look what verse 27 says nor give place to the devil. I thought he just showed up. Unexpected, unannounced. I didn't invite him over. You gave place. It's on us. It's our responsibility. Look at James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Hebrews, James... The only thing about these tiny Bibles is you turn one page and you miss the whole book. James chapter 4, verse 7. I love this verse. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I don't know how many times I heard that verse growing up, and they left off the first sentence. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, I'm resisting and I'm resisting and I'm pushing and I don't don't want the devil around me. Get away from me, you big bad devil. And I forget that I have to submit to God. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, this is the exciting part. This is the part where victory shows up. Because he's not talking about doing two different actions. I know it sounds like too. it sounds like submit to God and then come over here and resist the devil and he will flee from you. That means to run in terror in the opposite direction. By the way, he's not just saying, OK, no, he is going in the opposite direction. But only when you submit to God and resist the devil. But submitting to God and resisting the devil are one action. When you're submitted to God, you're resisting the devil. Submission to God is the greatest position of resistance to the enemy. If you want to get the enemy off your back, submit yourself to God, to the Lord, to his authority. Let him have dominion and control. Sin will not have dominion. Sin shall not control you. Sin shall not dictate your life any longer. Submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's the same position. As I submit to God, I'm resisting the devil. The devil hates people that are submitted to God. Why? Because he can't do anything. He can't do anything. He can't touch them. I had someone just yesterday, a young girl, ask me, why does the devil always go after young children? And I told her, I said, because he wants to get to you before God does. Because if God, if you get to God first, he can't get to you. It's that simple. It is that simple. I can explain that to a seven-year-old girl because, because it is that easy. If God has all of you, Satan has none of you. He can't. He has no access. You are so wrapped up in obeying and submitted to your king that the devil cannot touch that. He's no longer your enemy. He's no longer the one you're fighting against. He's no longer the one you're trying to defeat. I I, I preached a message, I preached a series last year right around, actually it was 2011, I preached a series called Victorious. And I talked about how we are not a people that are fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. I'm I'm fighting from the victory that I already have. I'm fighting to hold on to the stuff I already have. Not trying to get access to new stuff. The Bible says that the gates of hell will not prevail. Gates. Gates don't attack anybody. Gates protect stuff. The devil has gates set up trying to protect what he has. But the church is to be going in and taking stuff. The battle that you and I are fighting is not in retreat. It's in advancement. The kingdom suffers violence and the violent, take it, by force. That's the victorious church. The victorious church isn't the one that, you know, outlasts the devil and is, you know, the last one standing after he's done beating the mess out of you. That's not the victorious church. The victorious church is the one that goes in and takes schools, takes cities, takes homes, takes marriages, takes children for the kingdom of God. That's the victorious church. That's advancing and gaining ground. Not just trying to hold on to the little plot that I'm on. And so we got to identify that we're not fighting a big bad devil. We're not in a way, we're not waging war against sin and waking up every day and trying not to sin and trying not to let sin overtake us. We're in a battle against ourselves. And Paul had three words that described his lifestyle, the lifestyle of the kingdom. I die daily. That means today I'm fighting a battle against myself. To keep myself down, to, to, to flush myself out, and to allow the spirit, the new man on the inside, to produce the kingdom life. And tomorrow when I wake up, I'll do it all over again. Well, you can get 50 years down the road in this thing and decide, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. We got to die daily. We got to put the flesh down Daily. But identifying who we're resisting, identifying what we're fighting against, we're identifying where the real battle is helps us understand that I've got to keep my mind pure. Over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Over in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul said, "Whatever, whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble, whatever things are of good report, whatever things are true, whatever things are trustworthy, think on these things. Meditate. Look, where you put your mind determines who wins. We've talked about it plenty of times. What you set your mind on determines what you produce in your life. It's not a matter of, you know, the the devil brought more stuff against me today, so I guess he, he wins. No, it's a matter of what did you set your mind on. I love to talk about the access that the devil doesn't have. I'm tired of a church that's preaching how much work the devil is doing and how we're just trying to hold our ground till we get to heaven. That's not the church that Jesus called. That's not the church that all the keys of the kingdom were given to. That's not the church that prays, how would be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most churches don't care to see heaven on earth. They just want to get to heaven. See, Jesus came to this earth different than anybody else. See, everybody else that's on this planet has an earth to heaven mindset. But Jesus came with the heaven to earth. How do I get this stuff up here, down here? How do I get heaven to show up in my marriage? How do I get heaven to show up in my finances? How do I get heaven to show up in my house? How do I get heaven to show up in my job? In my family? And so this is the church that we've got to be. This is the church we've got to replicate. This is the church that we've got to be representatives of. And the first key to stepping this out, walking this out, is identifying that our greatest enemy is ourselves. And when we can learn to shut ourselves down, we'll be victorious. Nothing will overcome us. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for your grace that empowers us, equips us, strengthens us, Father. You you didn't give us grace so we could always apply a band-aid over everything that goes wrong. You gave us grace to strengthen us to get it right the next time. Father, we're so thankful for your grace. We're so thankful for what your son Jesus did. And no longer will we take it in vain. No longer will we, we weaken what he did. Weaken. The act that took place on that cross. But we value it. And understand that He defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave forever and ever. You reign supreme. You reign forever. And you have given us dominion and authority once again. Sin shall not reign. Sin shall not have control. And we will present our members, our bodies, as instruments of righteousness. You said present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy. May every action, may every word, may every response reveal the kingdom of God in our lives. We thank you for the kingdom life. We thank you for the power and the authority that you've given your church. We thank you that we have access to it in the name of Jesus. We thank you for all that you're doing in and through our lives. We thank you for this word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.